Hi, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can check that out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. They've got a great in-person conference coming up in September. You can go register for that now at pnwa.org. That's right. Okay. Oh, good one today. You know, uh, today's guest is Susan Shapiro, who's uh, author of 17 books and teacher. And just, you know, it was a great conversation. And I kind of learned something. I'm not saying I never learn anything I do, but I really came away feeling like she taught me a couple things that got me thinking, and uh, which is always great. And she's an interesting woman, kind of a, a like-minded person, I'd say. And uh, it, it was just a it was just a great time we had. I she is I should say a uh, she's freelances for the New York Times, New York Magazine, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, L.A. Times, Salon, L, Oprah, Wired, and New Yorker Online. She's the best-selling author or co-author of seventeen books her family hates, like Five Men Who Broke My Heart, Lighting Up, Unhooked, and The Forgiveness Tour. Her popular writing guides, The Byline Bible and The Book Bible, were inspired by twenty-five years of teaching writing and publishing in her popular. Instant Gratification Takes Too Long courses at the New School, NYU, Columbia University, and now in private classes and seminars online. Yeah, so a lot of fun, a lot of interesting stuff. So glad I get to share it with you. Enjoy. All right, Susan, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So the book... Well, you've written a lot of books. This is book 15, isn't it? Did I 15, 16? Uh, my line is I'm the author slash co-author of 17 books my family hates. <laughs> now, now that's very funny. Uh, when you say your family, do you mean just your immediate family or your extended for the whole lot of them? Most of them. <laughs> Most of them. They hate them because they're in them because I know you do a lot of nonfiction or just because they like different genres. All of it, all of that. All the above. Luckily, I had a great shrink who said to me that they're not your audience. And uh, he told me that I should say to my parents, um, you can appreciate my accomplishment of publishing a book without liking the book. So I wrote that down and I said that to my parents. And we got to a point where they would both say to me when I had a book out, they would say, we appreciate your accomplishment. No, <laughs> so, good. That was pretty good. It was worth this. It was worth paying him to get to get it that far. Um, all right, I'm going to edit this out, but you should probably quit your mail. I, the 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 uh, alert sound is 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 pretty audible. It's not a huge deal, but you're so you're so clearly popular that we don't want that. Okay, let's see if I know how to do that. Here it is. Oh, here it is. Okay, I see. Got it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Well, you know, it's your your psychi- your psychiatrist, your therapist was very true. Right. Right. I, I I tell my loved ones like you can love me, but that doesn't mean you're the audience for my book, which is you just my wife has never read my work. And uh, even though she is a writer herself. So I, and I and I don't 
expected to. I think it's good advice for, because you are writing for the people who are meant to read it, right? And we don't know who they are until- Right, I wanted to think, you know, one of the rules I say to my students is the first piece you write that your family hates means you found your voice. Interesting. Now, when did you come up with that, with that aside from the fact that your, your family hates your stuff? Pretty early on, pretty early on, because what happened was I started out loving confessional poetry. Um, okay. Very young. I love poetry. I love confessional poetry and started writing that way. You know, Plath, Lowell, Ann Sexton, Lucille Clifton. Right. In that style. So I'm from kind of very conservative, redneck, Republican Michigan, where, you know, I mean, you know, the joke in my Jewish family was that, like, if you said anything bad about yourself or your family, the Cossacks would come and get you. <laughs> so, so you just never did that. And so, of course, I fell in love with confessional poets who did it for a living. That's all they did. You know, and I used right. to walk around my house at, at a very young age saying, they fuck you up, your mom and dad, or <laughs> I'm tired. Everybody's tired of my turmoil. I just, because right. you know, it's like you become what's missing. So, um, so I started there. And then pretty early on, after I got my graduate degree um, in poetry, it was, you know, pretty impossible to make a living as a poet. And I gravitated towards, I worked at, at a magazine. So I gravitated towards um, first person essays, um, which I was taking the same subjects that I used to write about in poetry, which was my, you know, depression and my sure. bad relationships and my addictions. And I made essays out of them. And all of a sudden they could be in the New York Times or women's right. magazine. And then from there, I, I launched the same subjects into memoirs. So pretty early on, I think I realized that um, not only did my family not like my work, but it was very common in my classes and my writing group to hear that over and over. And so when I started teaching, my, the first assignment I give my students is write about your most humiliating secret. And so a lot of them were worried. So that's when it became a, uh, you know, it became, started out as a joke, but it really was serious that, if you're going to censor yourself based on what you think your family's going to want to say, then be a cookbook, right. you know, then just don't, don't be, a, don't be a real writer. So that it's such an interesting, a little assignment that ended up benefiting your students. So again, it's write about your most humiliating secret. Right. right. That you can put your name on. And it's, it's actually the first assignment in my book, uh, byline Bible, which is which is um, based on 25 years of teaching people how to write and get published, mostly nonfiction. Right. And so what happens is I tried a bunch of different assignments. You know, I, I have a very impatient personality. And so I wanted to get my students rolling and I wanted to sort of get to literary gold. And if, if I said to them, you know, if I just gave them a vague assignment about a personal essay, I would get the most boring pieces in the world about, you know, I love my cat or, you know, gardening or you know, some really boring. So if I, but if I said, write about your worst experience, it was all death and it was very dour. Right. I think right. I read in a book, somebody suggested that you write about the thing you're most ashamed of. So when I changed it around to write about your most humiliating secret, the minute I did it, the pieces were hilarious. They were funny. They were vulnerable. They just rocked. And by the end of the first class, I think out of 12 students, eight got published and four got more than a thousand dollars for pieces. Wow. Just rocked. Now I was very, very careful because I was already freelancing at the time. I was very specific about showing them which columns they should aim for and all the newspapers right. and magazines and also the word length. And you know, what what words can you say in the New York Times and Washington right. Post? What words can you can't? And and I was lucky too because the new school in Greenwich Village, they were they allowed. They allowed me to have in uh, speakers, different editors 
would come and agents would come to speak to my classes and they'd give them a stipend. But pretty early on, it just bad assignment rocked and it led to tons of books. Wow. And so this to this day, I, I you know, if somebody just needs an assignment or where do you start that I always give that as the first. I might just borrow that because I teach a lot of memoir, personal essay and and I, I'm pretty happy with the stuff I get from them. But I think there is some gold in there that it just gets them. Yeah, by the way, check out Assign Them Byline Bible. And what's really cool about Byline Bible was I Writer's Digest. I was allowed to reprint more than 60 full pieces that my students published for that oh, assignment. So, nice. so not only, you know, because I always say read what you want to be writing to start out. But so my students can not only read all the pieces, we have cover letters. Um, right. And then I linked hundreds more pieces. So you even get to see, okay, the New York Times, is it the opinion section? Is it the well family section? Is it the modern love section? You kind of, you know, so, so in Byline Bible, I put together the whole picture just to make it easier for people because nobody ever taught that. You know, I, I think right. I, um, I finished an undergraduate degree, a graduate degree. I took classes for years later and nobody ever taught me how to write a cover letter or even told me. No, that's what, not, that's not what's taught in most letter. MFA programs. No, they still don't. They still don't. Yeah. Well, yeah. and so at the book Bible, it's, so the, the title, the full title is the book Bible, how to sell your manuscript, no matter what genre without going broke or insane. And maybe you've been both. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to assume, but. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. In fact, by the way, I mean, I had, okay. So after the short pieces and I wrote Byline Bible, I finally, I didn't, I mean, I was writing for 20 years before I got my first real book deal at 43, which was total thrill, which was a hardcover Mm -hmm. memoir from Random House called Five Men Who Broke My Heart. And then a lot of my students started getting book deals. So when it came time to write a sequel, I wanted to, nobody really understood basic things about books like how do I decide whether this should be you know a memoir should it be fiction should it be essay should it be humor right um you know nobody understood a lot of the basics what wound up happening with me was that um I wound up for a lot of reasons I wound up writing in a lot of different genres mostly because I would do a book and then it wouldn't do well and so I'd switch genres and I kept trying different things And I was afraid that sort of made me a literary dabbler with ADD, but it turns out having books in eight different genres was really good to help people figure out, you know, each genre. And so, um, yeah, so when I did this book, um, the goal was to kind of get 25 years worth of mistakes that I wound up fixing through therapy, getting it all in, getting it all in one book. And, and I, many of my book projects took a long time. I had one, my first novel it took 13 years from start to finish. So instead of getting a book launch, it got a book mitzvah. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> there was a lot of things that I didn't know. And so what I thought, you know, they always say, take the class you wanted to um, teach the class you wanted to take and read yeah. and write the book you wanted to read. Yeah. So it took me so many years to figure this stuff out that, that it's kind of exciting to put it all together and to, to watch it help people so much faster. And I have students in their twenties that are getting book deals and I love it because it's, yeah. you know, I almost feel like my mistakes were worth something, you know? Well, that's really a generous point of view of that you, you hold. I mean, you've written a lot, obviously you've published a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in magazines too, a lot of periodical work. Um, but you do a lot of teaching and I get the feeling, I mean, a lot of people who write teach cause it's a nice way to make some money. Well, in addition to writing, that's a nice fit, but I do get the feeling that you like it somewhat, that you bring some creativity 
to it. Is that fair? Yeah. Or is it- well, interestingly, at the beginning, it wasn't even plan B. It was like plan C, D, E, F. And I was ambivalent because yeah. I thought it would take me away from my writing. What I found, and again, I had a great shrink, which I recommend. And, and, and my first shrink was only $20 uh, on a sliding scale. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so it doesn't have to be you know, somebody really expensive, but having a mentor or a shrink or a counselor to talk to was very helpful. But so what happened was um, I, I found a way so that I could write all day and teach by night. Mm, uh, right. And so that really helped me. And then the other thing, you know, I mean, as a freelance writer, of course, it was very erratic. So teaching came with this miraculous equation, which is I show up, they pay me. So that was exciting. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. And my husband, actually, he's a TV film writer, but he he teaches also at night. And we found that that's a really good combination. I mean, at this point, I only teach six hours at night a week. Um, so it, it really worked out to, you know, worked out to be great. Um, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. And maybe because I don't have kids um, or, maybe because, <laughs> or maybe because I was very lucky because the new school really gave me a lot of freedom. So yeah. it's not, you know, it's not like boring tests or whatever. It's, it's fun. It's crazy. It's, you know, I get to have all my favorite editors and agents come to visit the class and then they buy, it turns out when they buy students work, it just looks good on me. So even, you know, people always say, you're so nice to help people. And it's like, I'm not nice. It's actually kind of selfish. And, it, you know, I get good karma from it. And then the, the editors like me more because I've given them such great, right. amazing young voices um, and then also I get to meet some of the younger editors. Like if any of my students um, get published, I always ask for the name of their editor. So, so I said, I'm not doing this to help you. I'm doing it so I could steal your editors. <laughs> and then the editors come to speak to the class and, and then I get to work for them. Right. So all in all, it, yeah, it turned into a great thing. And what's interesting is that during the pandemic, I thought my mom said I was going to like the online teaching. And I didn't think I would because I'm a technophobe. And it turns out right. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. Because I get students from all over the country, yeah. all over the world, and all yep. different ages. Yep. So um, so interestingly, now I'm trying a combination where I'm going to do one class in person. Now I'm at NYU for one term. And then I'm going to do, I'm going to keep it going online because it's really turned out to be interesting. Yeah. And also I could get editors and agents from all over the country to zoom in. That's right. So so in a weird way that it gives an advantage to the people taking the class online. Yeah, we're I'm part of the Pacific Northwest Writers Association that puts on a big conference out here every year. And, you know, we had to do virtual for the last two years, maybe three, was it three, two? Anyway, well, uh, I think that for next year, we're going to do it live, but I think our, our agent centers are going to be mostly virtual. So we don't, they don't have to fly in and, you know, they can do it from the comfort of their living room. And so- it just makes sense. I, I too was very skeptical about um, teaching on Zoom, you know, because I like having, you know, in a room I can hear, I don't, I can hear the laughter. I can feel right. them moving. I can adjust. My stuff is so kind of inspirational. I, I'm always trying to raise their spirits, but I found with everybody muted, I could still do it. It took some, I'm hoping, you know, what I'm hoping is that when I get, maybe this is true for you too. When I get back into a live classroom setting, I'll be better. Because it's almost like the Zoom teaching taught me to ground myself even more. Maybe, maybe not, but that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, it's interesting because um, I hate to admit how much easier it is for me now to uh, to Zoom teach. Like, just for an example, you know, I mean, I'm my apartment is very comfortable, and I have I have windows, and I have air conditioning, and I yeah. have a fan, you know, and they gave yeah. me. 
the class I'm teaching now, it's a way too small room and we have to do it with masks on and it's too hot and I can't regulate the heat and it's kind of, you know, and then all I, all I need is for it to rain and snow. And I'm like, well, can we just do this on Zoom? <laughs> Here I get to see their faces and, yeah. and, and I don't have to get wet. Yeah. So, so I'm going to keep doing both, but I will say that um, I'm kind of shocked at how much the Zoom, you know, and also the thing that's interesting, because I also do my writing groups on Zoom. It's the exact same in terms of the writing and the criticism. Yeah, that's the same. Oh, different. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I, I think I have more people getting published on my Zoom classes than I did in person, maybe yeah. because they're meeting editors from all over the, the world. So we're getting LA and LA zooming in and, you know, just people from all over. So it just makes it a little bit more um, global. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So, all right. So the book Bible, this is about selling work and how to do it. You break it all down by fiction, nonfiction, poetry, short stories, memoir, every really just about every genre and it deals what i found thank you what i found was that when i you go to the store and say you want to learn how to write a book say you know of course the best thing to do would be get in a writing program or take writing classes but a lot of people have jobs and kids and, right. and can't really afford to or don't want to start that way so what i wanted to do is i wanted to do something that hasn't been done now if you go to a bookstore there are very good books on how to write a novel and there's some very good books on how to write a memoir and there's some on how to write a book proposal and there's maybe a couple on how to do kids books but you have to buy 12 different books right. and what if you don't know what if you're what if you have a story that that took place when you were 18 and you're not sure is this a YA novel is it a YA memoir could it be an adult memoir of me looking back should i fictionalize right. it you know right. is it a comic novel should it be a self help because i learn lessons like people you know, and I went through this myself and I went through trial by error. And luckily I had a great agent and editor and these brilliant writing group people, you know, so I, I actually had a lot of people who helped me figure it out, but it took me years and years. So what I was trying to do was kind of boil down everything that's happened to me and, and many decades of careers and, and sort of give people the overview and explain to young, young um, writers, aspiring writers, um, you know, what should they be paying attention to? Because just for an example, things that people don't know, and I work with a lot of undergrads and, and graduate students at um, NYU Columbia in the New School as, a, as a, um, an, an advisor. And they don't necessarily know the difference between the genres. And just for example, if you're young, you know, if you're an undergrad, if you're 20, if you're 22, it's right. probably going to be a million times easier to write and sell a middle grade or a young adult book than it is an adult book. Because when you're 22, having That's an overview for a memoir, you know, yeah. It, so, so a lot of people just, they don't even understand the division, you know, yeah. of what is a middle yeah. grade, what is a YA. Yeah. Also, one of the things that's happened a lot lately, which is interesting and it's happened to me, I have a whole genre, a whole book on genre fluidity, which is a lot of people write a book and if it doesn't work, they just like throw up their hands and they're like, it's over. So just for an right. example, several times with me and with, with students, I wrote a memoir and it didn't work. And the answer was no. Yeah. But if you have good advisors and good critics and you think in a different, you think out of the box a little bit, sometimes your own first person story isn't enthralling when you're just telling it. But if you could make it into um, a first person self-help book that tells your origin story, you know what? offers advice, then sometimes it, it, it becomes a, a better, more important book that does better in the world. You know what, Susan? It's so funny you say that because my last book, Everyone Has What It Takes, 
was a memoir called No One Is Broken. I'd published a piece in the New York Times called No One Is Broken about my son and me and, and everybody loved the title and everybody, and we were trying to sell that thing. And it was finally, it was in some tiny little publisher in Arizona, no. And as soon as I turned it into Everyone Has What It Takes, which is a self-help book sort of for writers, based on a lot of the same stories, we sold it to Penguin. So it was exactly that story. And, I, and, and you know what the interesting thing was, and I'd like to hear your take on this. And I realized in retrospect, looking back, I had the title, No One Is Broken. And I, it was a message I was absolutely passionate about. I'd done a lot of talks on it, but it wasn't a story. It wasn't a story, and, but I had a message. And then once I wrote a book that was more message that filled with stories, then it sold. Does that make sense? It doesn't, it's happened to me many times. So for example, I am a fix up fanatic where I fixed up more than 30 marriages and I was fixed up with my husband and his runner up and I tried to write about uh -huh. it. I thought, oh, this would be a great story, a great memoir. Right. And, and, and you know, when I finished it, my editor was just like, this it's really boring. <laughs> uh, but she said, but I'm single. So I'm actually interested in how do I meet somebody? And the minute I switched it to secrets of a fix up fanatic, how to meet and marry your match. And by the way, it was 85% the same book Wow. Because I told the same stories, but I just added advice wow. and an intro. And then that's all to Random House. And by the way, it happened again to me when I was working with my addiction specialist who helped me quit cigarettes, alcohol, and drugs. And he wanted to write about his life and his addiction um, specialty and helping people get off of all kinds of different addictions. So I helped him after I was, after I was um, done with the therapy. I helped him write it. And at first I envisioned it as a memoir, kind of like a love's executioner where he would tell the different case stories. Nobody was interested, the case studies, nobody was interested taking advice and turning it into a self-help book, which was called Unhooked, How to Quit Anything, 90% the same. It was just a, a different intro. And at the end of each chapter, I gave, uh, there was a lot more takeaways. I added right. a lot more takeaways right. and it became a New York Times bestseller and it helped a lot of people, it's helped a lot of people quit addictions. But so again, exactly. That what is so interesting, man. Right. But that's a thing. It's a thing. Like, for example, I have a, um, a protege named Amy Klein who was writing about infertility and she tried to write about it in a memoir and it was just not working. And by changing it into a self-help book called The Trying Game, where she interviewed all the experts who helped her, six figures from Random House recently. See, I, I do think that, because the interesting thing about memoir is it's about learning. Memoir is like you take it, something happens to you and some, somehow you're changed by that story. Hopefully something is something, you don't just bunch of shit that happened to you. Hopefully like there's something, something learned at the end, but there is such a crossover between the piece I just wrote for Writer's Digest was about whether your piece is memoir, personal essay or self-help. And it's, it's like a it. fine line, right? It is a fine line. And also what happens I think is that memoir has changed. So since mm. I've been doing it, I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. It's, it's an overstuffed market. And so the people that have taken over memoir from my experience are well-known people with huge platforms. Right. Number one, number two, you know, TV shows and radio shows and all that right. stuff, famous people, but also very, very dramatic stories. So you yeah. have educated and, um, uh, uh, May glass castle was that was the glass castle sure right. you have very very dramatic stories um that was uh, that are um uh that what was the other book i think it was um uh 
Natasha Three-Way uh, um, Three has, a, has a recent memoir that was also oh, a memorial drive, a daughter's memoir. So these are really dramatic books. In that case, it was her father killed her mother. With right. May, it was mental illness and poverty. With Educated, it was the crazy religious family, right. you know, education. So what happens is it seems to me that the kind of memoirs that are selling now are, um, are very, very, very dramatic. And unfortunately, from my experience as a, as a teacher, 90% of people that are writing memoirs are writing kind of quieter, not sure. as dramatic. Well, that's most people's lives. Because yeah, everybody's life can be interesting. I, I do think everyone's, but you, but it may not, well, you know, here's the thing. Book publishers don't always know exactly what everyone in the world wants to read. They have their ideas. They could be wrong, but they're, you know, these trends come and go. Um, well, but a lot of the memoirs started blurring together because I can't tell you how many students I have because I do a class, a five-week how to sell your book class. And it's, right. you know, I was drinking and smoking and had screwed up relationships right. and didn't have any jobs. And then I did therapy and now I did Reiki therapy and I'm all better. Here's my memoir. Right. You know, so that's a really common misconception sure. at this stage of the game that you could just, you know, write a memoir about all the crappy things that happened to you that you came out of. And that's not happening anymore. But that doesn't mean that if you have talent and perseverance, you can't write a book. It just means that you want to look more carefully at different genres who might not only care about what you want to say, but where you could find an exact audience. So right. for example, I'll give you an example. So I have a student, a former student, Allison Gerber, who in my class wrote about what it was like as a kid to um, have scoliosis. And that happened when she was, I think, 12, around 12 years old. And she had to wear a brace and it screwed up her bar mitzvah. And she also wrote about having ADD and about um, having disordered eating. Right. Okay, so she she went back to school at the new school and did their kids lit program. So she has now written three fantastic best-selling middle grade novels. The first is called Brace, which was about a little girl who has to wear uh, right. a brace because of scoliosis. The second is called Focused, about overcoming ADD as a kid. And the third is called Taking Up Space, about getting, getting over an eating disorder. So I'm just saying that's one example so that's an example of somebody who, um, you know, did some real introspection about what happened to me. When did it happen? What do I have to share with the world? Who could I help the most? Right. And she came up with that. Amy Klein, as I mentioned, really thought about it and, and decided that what's her goal? Her goal was to help as many women as possible overcome what she had to go through. Right. And so, so an older audience of women in the self-help genre wound up helping her. Now, I had one book speed shrinking, which was about how after my addiction specialist, um, he left town and he, he moved away and it kind of freaked me out. And it turned out, you know, and I, and he was helping me with addiction. So I was afraid I was going to have a relapse right. and his, um, in real life, he was $200 a session by that point. Yeah. And the shrinks on, on our copay were $25 a session. So I realized to find the right new shrink, I could see eight shrinks in eight days instead of speed dating and speed shrinking. <laughs> and I knew I had something, but I tried writing it in real life and it just wasn't quite working as, you know, it's white privilege and right, it's, right. you know, who's going to do that. But all of a sudden, one of my editors said, you know, this is kind of hilarious and crazy. If you, you could even make it crazier and do a comic novel. So I made it, I made it into a comic ah. novel and that sold to St. Martin's. So there's actually a lot of different ways one could take a story, but nobody understands that. So by writing Book Bible, what I'm hoping to do is not only illuminate the 20 different genres that are possible, you know, and, and editors and agents are very, very open for, but also try to explain 
where you start and what are the differences and who are the audiences and, right. and how do you sell this? Um, you know, just because that's, it took me so many years to figure that out. Wow. Susan, this has been a very illuminating. Thank you. I'm going to say surprisingly illuminating. I'm not saying I didn't expect you to have interesting stuff to say, but it was even more interesting than I would have anticipated. Well, it's interesting you the exact thing that I talk about in, in um, uh, with genre fluidity, which by the way, involves, if you want to be a writer, it involves being flexible, yeah. hearing criticism, trying, try your fantasy, right. get really smart feedback from people who will tell you the truth, take it in, listen to it, consider revising, yeah. consider the different options, have a, have a rational, you know, it's a business. So you have to have a, yeah, you know, a rational decision-making process. So it's a lot, you know, it took a long time from, you know, being a poet in Michigan who just wanted to go hang out in Greenwich Village and, you know, <laughs> and be the Sylvia Plath that, that lived versus how do you make a living doing this yeah. for your whole life? So, yeah. So it's, by the way, but so it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's exciting and it's still totally thrilling. Every time I have a book out, it's still thrilling. And every oh, yeah. time you have a, a, you know, every time a student gets a book deal, it's like a vicarious, amazing, exciting yeah. thing. And you know what? It's very hard to make a living as a freelance writer doing short pieces these days, but books are still happening. There's still a lot of money. Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah. and yeah. I've had, I've had a couple of students get $500,000 advances. Ooh. You know, so the, and two hundred thousand dollar advances. So that still happens. Yeah. Oh, it's good to hear. It's yeah. good to hear, Susan. I usually finish the show. First of all, if people want to learn about you, all about you, it's just is it just susanshapiro.com? Susanshapiro.net is my Dot website, okay. and Propsu one two three is Instagram, which my students have taught me to use, and uh, <laughs> susanshapiro.net is Twitter. And okay. I, I tend to, um, I do post a lot of stuff about like calls for pitches and events. I do some stuff online. Okay. I'm doing, uh, yeah, I'm doing, doing in-person stuff. Excellent. Uh, all right. Well, I usually, I usually finish these conversations by asking my authors uh, if writing has taught them anything, taught them what? You may have just answered it, but I'm going to throw it out to you anyway. If, finish the sentence. If writing, all the writing you've done, all the way back to your poetry when you were confessing has taught you one thing. What has it taught you? It has taught me that writing is a way to turn your worst experiences into the most beautiful. That's great. That's great. Susan, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Great to meet you. Yeah, see, isn't that nice? Worst experiences into the most beautiful experience. I like that. I do indeed. So that was a lot of fun. I like Susan. Uh, hey, I'll be back again next week with somebody else. Yes, I will, because that's what I do. So in the meantime, I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and say, uh, when in doubt, when in doubt, find something you just love to do and do it.